1: Vadens best den Carlson. Carlson.
0: Carlson, Carlson. Hoi, here comes Carlson. Carlson, Carlson. Carlson. In fact, Ingen annan Carlson. Carlson. så bra som mig. Carlson. 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 Scores. Carlson. Yeah. Carlson. Världens Welcome everybody to another episode of the Keeping Carlson Fantasy Hockey Podcast, the best fantasy hockey podcast in the world, hosted by two guys who own Eric Carlson and their Keeper Pools. I am your host, Elon Dubrowski. Today we've got a special show. We have an interview for you, so Brian is not here, but in his place we've got the prospect expert, director of film scouting at Elite Prospects, managing editor of Dauber Prospects. He is the Keeping Carlson prospect expert, Cam Robinson. Welcome to the show, Cam. Hey, thanks a lot for having me on, Elon. Always fun. Yeah, we're always very excited to have you on. Our listeners, whenever I mention that, oh, Cam's coming, we get a ton of questions, and today is no different. Everyone wants to get your expertise for their dynasty leagues and ask about prospects, and I'll, I have my more, like, basic questions about people who were rookies last year that, you know, the regular fantasy players have heard of. Uh, before we get into all of that, like, how's everything going with you? Obviously, these are crazy times right now, and we wish the best to all of our listeners. Hope everyone's staying safe. Hopefully, we'll give you a fun distraction or so over the next hour and a half. But yeah, Cam, how are you doing with everything?
1: Yeah, we're doing well over here. Um, I think my wife might uh, might want me back at work because I'm starting to become a danger to the household. Uh, the other day, I was she asked me to crack her back, and so I was oh, no. doing the bear hug technique, and as I've done many, many times, and as I was giving her the last crack, her rib just exploded oh, in no. my arms. It was this sickening sound and the feeling of it, and I thought I broke her back. Um, Oh, my God. We're going to have to put an explicit warning on this podcast. I know, right? Uh, and uh, yeah, but fortunately, it was a floating rib. So she's not completely hobbled up, but still not ideal for for a lady carrying around a seven month old baby 95% of her time. But uh, she's been gracious about it anyways, But because she asked me to do it. But I, I feel terrible about it. So I've been
0: hiding away and trying to be as uh, kind as I can. Wow. OK, well, definitely wishing her a, a fast recovery. That's brutal. I can't imagine. Uh, oh, man. I was not expecting that story. (laughs) Oh, my God. (laughs) And uh, I guess professional wise, I guess there's not as much hockey to write about lately, which is, I guess, not the best thing for you. But it's great for us because you were able to join us for a podcast. I know you've been super busy over the past year writing in a bunch of different places. Mm -hmm, Yeah, for sure. And so
1: with this, with the COVID shutdown of hockey, that's uh, pretty much wiped out about two thirds of my my writing commitment commitments um understandably and so yeah so I've kind of been on a bit of a podcast freeze I've let one or two sneak in if they if they kind of time out perfectly for me but with the new baby at home and all the writing commitments all the scouting and of course my my, I'm a full-time teacher as well that uh, time was a little a little tough to to peel away so it's nice to bring bring the old yeti mic back out and and do some podcasts over this little spell here
0: Perfect. Yeah. Hey, we're Yeti brothers. I've got it on cardio mode, which I think is the nicest sounding mode. So I think with that, we're ready to go. Obviously, congrats, by the way, on the new baby. I guess that was already a few months ago, right?
1: Yeah, that's right. She's uh, she's almost eight months now, but uh,
0: still a little handful, of course. Yeah, I can imagine. Well, especially with your wife currently on the shelf. Uh, so I hope everything's well. Okay, let's get to all of these questions. So again, we asked our patrons and we asked on Twitter for people to give us our questions for Cam and people did not disappoint. Uh, But first, I want to throw some... Elon, basic questions at you. Uh, and I want to start with uh, the main rookies going into last season. Of course, Jack Hughes and Capo Kako. You were obviously very high on them, as were a lot of people. I took a look at your projections, which were great and a great resource going into drafts. Unfortunately, you, like most of the other projectors, were super high or I guess too high on Hughes and Kako. You had 65 points for Hughes and 60 for Kako. It ended up Jack Hughes, I guess we could start with him, only 21 points in 61 games he started playing with Hall and Palmieri, but then he got dropped down the depth chart pretty quickly. Uh, interestingly, at the end of the season, right before the pause, he was playing on a line with Nico Heashier. Uh Not that it helped. Uh, Hughes was pointless in his final seven games. So at this point now, going into next season, do you have a sense of where you'll be projecting Jack Hughes? Like, Was this a big disappointment, something that makes you change your mind about his future potential? Or is it just, okay, he was 18, don't worry about it?
1: Yeah, I think
0: it probably just offers
1: up more opportunity for people to try to steal this kid before he actually hits his his window to really put up some big points. And and so, you know, I've in the past, I've been maybe a little too low on some of these young players coming into the league and and been a bit gun shy to, to give them. You know a projection of 50 60 points and and then often I look I look like I'm a little too down on it and so this this past year like you said I had them both clicking at at a 60 point pace or above and obviously that didn't happen and so that that didn't happen for a myriad of reasons Uh, number one their age the transition especially for Jack Hughes coming out of the U.S. National Development Program the first ever player to come out of that straight to the NHL that's a huge gap like a just a wide 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 gap between those two leagues and then for Kako coming over from Finland too, it's, he was playing in a pro league, but a different size ice sheet, um, you know, obviously just coming to North America and the culture shock, Uh, So there was there's some things that you can kind of explain and then you can look at the deployment as well, too. So, you know, for Hughes, he was getting a healthy dose of offensive zone start times, bouncing around the lineup a lot, though, too, which I I think is always difficult for young players. I find that when you see an 18, 19 year old step into the league and and at least find some cohesion with a single line mate that maybe they can link up for the vast majority of their shifts throughout the season, that that they kind of get that confidence. comfort zone. They can work with someone as a, you know, hopefully it's a veteran who can kind of lead the way and, and show them the ropes. And I felt like neither player really had that. Um, so coming into this next season, whenever that starts or, or this one regains uh, its speed here, I'd probably pick them to go around the same thing that I put them this year. So I think that they both have the goods to really jump up next season and, and push into that 50, 60 point pace. And then we always knew that their their real peak window is going to be, you know, 21, 22 to that 27 range. Um, so we still got a bit of a wait. But, you know, I keep I keep babysitting the guy in my league who has Hughes. I, I'm, I'm texting him fairly often, just, you know, keeping it, keeping it on his mind. And maybe Hughes isn't that great. Maybe you should send in me for a lesser player and we can all be happy. But uh, no, I think that I think that I'm expecting Kako to hopefully rise up the lineup a little bit more and find some deployment with an offensive minded center. If the Rangers can facilitate that, maybe that's Philip Heedle. And then for Hughes, you know, uh, for a long time, I, I said that it wasn't a slam dunk that this kid was going to play the middle of the ice. And so, as you said, he was found himself on a line with Nico Hischer to end the season. And I thought that they looked OK together. And, and just giving him that freedom to play on the wing, I think, would be very beneficial for him, too. It's just he doesn't have to be as defensively responsible. He's still a slight kid to try to match up against top six centers and let him that freedom to create and fly up and down the wing.
0: Yeah. So actually, Brian put a note in my notes here that I shared with him wanting me to ask you between Hughes and Hisher, who is going to be the number one center at the start of next season or in 21-22? Sounds like you're saying it's possible that maybe it'll be one of them, but the other one will be on the wing. Maybe Jack Hughes is on the wing and doesn't really mean it has to be a competition between the two.
1: Yeah, I, I think that I think that people kind of sleep on Hisher. He's a very, very talented player and, and a, a two-way guy too. So I, I think for me, he's still there He's still the projected one center next year, um, probably playing with Kyle Palmieri if he's back. Um, and then, you know, maybe it's maybe it's Hughes on the wing with him. Maybe it's Hughes on the wings with Jack as he found himself this year. Or maybe they try to slide him in that, as that 2C. But at this point, I don't see Hughes overtaking the the one center job away from Hisher.
0: Interesting. So, OK, let's say if you had Hisher in this league where you're babysitting the Jack Hughes owner, would you be willing to trade Shear for Hughes in fantasy right now? Or do you think that Hisher might actually be the better asset?
1: I think long term it's gonna be huge, so I would make that deal right now and, and eat a little bit of uh of the points for the next year or two.
0: Interesting. Yeah, your team is so stacked anyways, you could afford to lose one. Uh, and I guess sticking on New Jersey, another question I wanted to throw at you. We did a couple of weeks ago, a hot takeoff where different people sent us their spicy takes. And actually you have a very spicy take I want to get into soon. Uh, but uh, for our hot takeoff, my take that I threw in is I said that I think that Nikita Gusev will be the top scorer of all first and second year players next year. And I wanted to get your take as the prospect expert, knowing all the rookies from this year and the people who are going to be coming in next year. Gusev obviously was a disappointment at the start, like only 44 points in 66 games overall and definitely slower than that at the start but then he really picked it up like after November 28th I'm starting from an arbitrary day we see 36 points in 46 games for a 64 point pace this is obviously a former KHL leading scorer so do you think that uh, Nikita Gusev is the front runner to be the leader in this group of first or second year players next year or do you think I'm totally uh, whiffing and missing out on someone much better like say a Hughes or Kako or someone else
1: uh, I think that that's plausible. You know, he's a, he's already a veteran aged player and, and you could see as it was, we went down the stretch last, uh, this past season, I suppose, is that he was, he was finding consistent production too. He was clicking at probably whatever, a 65 point pace there. Um, I, I think that that's, it's reasonable. I think more likely we're gonna see a guy like Kale McCarr or Quinn Hughes really explode up into that sixty point range as well. Um, you know, then 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 there's still guys like Victor Olofsson, who's getting all the prime minutes in a really nice situation in Buffalo that could do some damage. I think Martin Nakash takes a big step up, and then obviously Hughes and Ooh. Kako, Alexis Lafreniere is gonna be stepping into the league, and I so I, I maybe I maybe gave Jack Hughes a, a sixty five point pace this past season, and he didn't live up to expectations. I'll be giving Lafreniere about the same thing. And I, I, I think that the odds that he does hit those expectations is much higher than what Hughes had coming into this year, that he's physically more mature. He's an older player for his class, too. So he's been 18 the entire season. He'll be 19 when the year starts next year. I think that he's got a good chance to really step in and be that first year 60, 60 plus point season guy. Uh, so, you know, Gusev could be a point of game guy, though, too, right? Like, that's what we kind of hoped for when he was crossing over from the KHL is that this guy was a dominant player in the KHL and that he had all those same experiences that Kako is going to have he was just older and and worked his way through them a little bit easier so coming to a different ice sheet uh coming to north america you know maybe learning the language barrier is, is going to be transitionally different and finding defensive responsibility in the nhl and earning the trust from your coach and all that stuff is going to be much much easier in year two for him so um he's an interesting guy for sure he's, he's one that i'll definitely have on my watch list for someone who could instead of being at a 50 point pace being at a 60 65 point pace
0: Okay, yeah, I'm glad to hear that you agree with me. Maybe it turns out it wasn't even that spicy of a take because all the players that you're mentioning, you're having hovering around 60 points in the defenseman. That would be interesting if up being a defenseman, ending up leading it, being either Makar or... and i'll ask you about them in a little bit but you brought up alexis lafreniere so i wanted to ask you uh there are a bunch of projections coming out of the upcoming nhl draft and i saw a tweet by colin cudmore saying that your take that alexis lafreniere should be number two with quinton byfield being number one is the spiciest projection out there so i'm curious like uh first of all why did you come up with this uh take that Byfield should be number one? And are you still sticking with that? And how do you feel that uh, Colin Cudmore said that you have the spiciest one of the bunch?
1: Oh, that's actually a, a very uh, nicely put way. I, I got some some different responses from some people that are very big champions of Alexis Lafreniere on my on my draft rankings when I released them last week. Uh, no, I'm I'm sticking with it. I actually had Byfield number one on my board when I released back in December ahead of the World Junior Championships too. So uh, this is something that weighs on me heavily. I, I lose a lot of sleep, kind of <laughs> flip flopping between those two.
0: I think the same thing happened last year, right, Cam? Weren't you like losing sleep over Hughes versus Kako? I was, I was.
1: And I think that that one was razor thin too. And I also, I, I have a bit of an issue with people just being so, so definitive in their mandate that like this player is the best player in the group. He's number one. Anybody who says differently is, is outrageous and and just looking for clicks and being contrarian for that reason. So I put out and I got a lot of that when I when I released last week. And so I put out just a little quick poll that said, you know, in the 20 years between 1995 and 2005 or 2015, I beg your pardon, the 20 years. uh, How many first overall picks do you think were the slam dunk, clear cut best player in their class? And so and I gave a range, you know, one to four or one to five, six to nine and so on. And for the most part, the vast majority of people picked either one to five or six to nine. And they're right. And and so for my by my my count, there's four locked in players from that twenty year gap that is absolutely the best player in their group. And then probably four or five others that you could make a strong case for, but it, it could be an argument nonetheless. And so for anyone to to really in the world of prospect scouting to be so definitive, I'm not sitting here and saying definitively that Quentin Byfield's gonna be the best player from this crop. It could be someone that gets drafted 197th, like we saw Pavel Datsu back in the day there in the in in Le Cavalier's year. Um so for me, it's not about deciding who the best player is today. I, I find that that's a fairly easy exercise for people that are watching enough games. Uh, what we're trying to do is we're trying to project out. We're trying to see who's going to be the better player in three years, five years, eight years, 12 years, and and so on. And there's a lot of things that come into that. And so as of right now, Alexis Lafreniere is the best player by a good margin in this class. He'll – He's the most NHL ready. Uh, if I'm picking first in my dynasty draft, I'm taking Lafreniere. He's going to step in. He's going to put up big points. You don't have to wait. Hell, I might have Marco Rossi number two on that board if, if I'm doing fantasy because, again, he's another player who I think is going to try probably translate a little bit quicker than Byfield was. But if we're talking real life and we're talking about the uniqueness of a six foot five, 200, and he'll probably play at 230 in the NHL center who has hands like Jason Spezza and can skate like the wind with his powerful stride – that's that's unicorn type stuff that's that's something that we don't see too often uh basically you know evgeny malkin was the last one we saw before that it was jumbo who who didn't skate like byfield does uh so his upside is just so unique that whatever team could get him it it could have a seismic (laughs) impact on their on their organization moving forward and i think that that is more valuable than a really play driving highly highly skilled left winger in in lafreniere
0: Okay, yeah, I guess that makes sense, right? And obviously, there's a big difference between value to the team and then value in fantasy. Like if you had the first pick overall in a dynasty league, and you were drafting based on the players who are going to be available after the draft, at that point, would you take Lafreniere? Or do you still feel like Byfield's also going to be more valuable fantasy wise? no I think for fantasy
1: it would be Lafreniere for me and like I was saying that I might even I might even look at Marco Rossi at number two because I think both those players are going to step into the NHL next year or have a very good chance the whole prospect development camp and missing out on many tournaments this summer might might impact a lot of young players chances of really stepping in and stealing a job which is unfortunate but for Rossi it's either he's not going back to the OHL so he's either heading back to Europe to play for a season or he's going to be in the NHL so um yeah for me it's we're talking real life here with those draft rankings and uh and I'm, I'm I got Byfield up there now. I'll do one more before the draft, whenever that is. But at this point, I'm not sure I can uh, I can waver. I've kind of planted my flag <laughs> in the ground now.
0: Yeah, and I, I guess unfortunately we're not going to be getting any new data for you to incorporate into it, so there wouldn't really be much of a justification so uh that is an interesting tweet by the way that you made there were a lot of fun answers as people were trying to predict like or g- give their opinions on what were the drafts where the first overall pick ended up being the for sure like number one player after it was all said and done uh, i'm guessing it was i'm looking at the list of first round picks here like joe thornton in 97 crosby mm-hmm. in 05 uh, mcdavid mm-hmm. in 15 and probably like patrick kane in 07 are those you're like locked in four guaranteed ones yeah, those are the those are the four gimmies. And then, you know, you can
1: talk about Ov versus Malkin, which yeah. is a, a very difficult one. And then, I you know, Damkos, Doughty, Carlson in another year, Kovalchuk and Spezza, McKinnon, Barkoff. So a couple of them you could probably say definitively that, you know, EK was the best from his crop. McKinnon is probably the best from his crop. Um, but still, it's it's less than half for sure. And so it's just interesting to see when people are so hell-bent on, on groupthink. And that's kind of the thing that's really gotten to me is that over the years doing this, is that I've, I have in the past kind of succumbed to that group think that external pressure from every public list has this guy number one. You know, I'm obviously wrong. I, I should fall in line and kind of toe the company line a little bit here. And, and so I, I, I kind of reference 2017 often is that I didn't feel that Nolan Patrick was a top five player in the class, but everybody else had him one. Some had him two. And so I, I kind of hedged my bet a little bit and put him at number three, kind of, despite my feeling that I felt he should have been kind of seven or eight. And I feel like I was probably right in that estimation, but I didn't follow through on it. And so I made myself a promise that, you know, I'm not going to be pressured into things by that groupthink mentality. I'm just going to, you know, this is how I see it. This is how I'm projecting it. I'm not saying that I'm right all the time. I'm, ask my wife, that is certainly not true. Uh, <laughs> but I'm, I'm at least going to stick to my guns with it when I feel some way.
0: Uh, interesting. It's interesting to hear the progression of, the Cam Robinson rankings and how like these different lessons that you've learned and yeah Nolan Patrick unfortunately didn't even play last season with his migraine disorder. Hopefully he'll at least have the opportunity to try to earn that like top seven spot that you would have put him in. Do you have t- since you brought him up? I'm just curious like. At this point if you had him in a, you know, long-term dynasty league, is he someone you'd be just like dropping potentially or is he still someone you think has some potential even if it's not as high as some people thought it would be?
1: Yeah, I guess it depends on what the circumstances of a league are. If you have a space to keep him, that, you know, I I wouldn't I wouldn't be mad about keeping him around because I think he still has upside as a as a number 2 center who can fill some some categories as well. Um, you know, he's the guy's got still whatever over He's, he's paced out at like 30 or 40 points per game in his career so far in an early career. So I think he still has some upside. He's not a player that you want to write off. It's just that I don't see that 75-85 point upside that you you see some from some other guys in that class like Hischer and, and obviously Pedersen and McCar and mm-hmm. even Cody Glass I think has that
0: upside. Yeah. And actually, I think that if I recall correctly, you on a Keeping Carlson episode at one point where it was saying that Travis Konechny was going to be like the big star out of Philly of these like rookies that we were talking about at the time. We were including Nolan Patrick in that list and you really got Connectney right. I think if I recall correctly, you were talking about how Konechny, the main concern for you was just his injuries and that he te- seemed to get hurt all the time. But last season, he was healthy the whole time and what a breakout. So I think that counts as a win for you
1: yeah I'll take it absolutely he's a fun player too he's he's one of those guys that you can't help but like and he's been like that since his days playing in junior there with the with the 67s and a little bit with Sarnia he's he just a dominant player in junior and just constant battler and to see him step up and be nearly a point per game player this year it's uh, tremendous
0: okay and then before we get to the questions from the listeners when we were, when we were talking about Hughes and Kako I wanted to ask you about Capo Kako over on the Rangers there was another player on the Rangers that we were talking a lot about going into the season Vitali Kravtsov who ended up not making the team and then he ended up going to the AHL he played for Hartford and he only had 15 points in 39 games so a disappointing season overall for Kravtsov and you were mentioning when you're talking about Kako like hopefully he'll have like a good you were talking about a centerman to play with but also Kravtsov potentially on the wing like either on the same line as him or someone for him to compete with like what are your thoughts on Kravtsov now going into next season yeah very very
1: difficult season for him Um, getting sent down to Hartford there in the American League and then not getting not getting gift wrapped top six minutes in offensive situations and I think that that was kind of the expectation is that he was going to go down there and he was going to get all the fun minutes put up some points and maybe get the call and the coaching staff down there were demanding a little more from him a little more defensive responsibility he was a young kid and and you know they're not just going to hand him this job he was 19 and so he went back to Russia And this is a player who, you know, had some had some nice success in the KHL and did not find that same success with Tractor, which is a a pretty bad team in in the K as well. But, you know, just a couple of goals in 11 games. He got demoted to the VHL, which is their AHL equivalent, a second tier league, Um, you know, did okay there, came back to Hartford and and did a little bit better on his return. But, you know, I'm a little concerned with him at the same time. He's a big power forward. So he's six, four. He still hasn't filled out yet these guys tend to take longer. Um, I was probably a little too bullish on him coming into the season as I kind of expected the Rangers to be this young, exciting offensive team that was expected to lose a lot of games and get a nice high draft pick and give their young players a ton of opportunity. And that's not really the way they went. They turned out to be a pretty decent, exciting team all around. And because of that, they kept their veterans in the lineup. They didn't move expiring contracts. They they were looking for, for points rather than looking for draft lottery balls. And so that kind of stymied a, a few of their opportunities, including Kakos. And so for, for Kraftsoff, I think that he's a player that I'm not expecting to step into the NHL this fall with his with the season he just had. You know, he he could definitely come into camp and surprise and steal a job. But I think the most likely situation is that we see him in Hartford and he goes from a player who is clicking at, you know, whatever, 0.35, 0.4 points a game to someone who's more around 0.75, 0.8. And
0: then he's really sniffing for that call up. Right, So crap off maybe someone now you got to think about more long term than we thought at this point last year. Uh, okay, so I guess now we could get to the questions. Uh, we got a bunch from Victor Nuno who's uh, has his own prospects podcast he 's been doing shows with Jesse Severe on the fantasy hockey life podcast. and then Victor just dropped a bunch on us. So how about we'll do a couple from Victor then we'll come back to his questions if we have time at the end. But one of his questions is a very common one that we also got a similar question from Jeff Lubonat on Twitter, basically they want a list from you they want some names just drop cam give us some names so like you know some guys with fewer than 25 nhl games that will make a big impact next year or like which draftee prior to 2020 will make the biggest impact this year or jeff asked which rookies or prospects will step into the nhl next year and be impact players basically they want the oracle cam robinson to drop some names of players that maybe aren't on people's radars as much that you think are gonna really come into the forefront and make an impact in fantasy next year
1: yeah, so I, I I did a little a little exercise on this, trying to trying to think of a few players that'll actually make an an impact. and and it's it's difficult to say, especially with the young players not stepping in as twenty twenty eligible. So I've got a few, I think I think most cider is a player that everybody should have on their radar coming up to Detroit. He is a hell of a player. He was, if not the youngest, one of the youngest players in the American League last season as a defenseman and and really stood his own and and looked good. Um, I think that if Detroit was in a different situation than they were, they were definitely searching for lottery balls that he would have got the call up and would have saw some more NHL or saw some NHL ice. I think that Alex Turcott, he just signed out of Wisconsin uh, to the Kings, that he is a very talented player. He didn't put up a ton of points in college as a first year. Uh, so some people thought maybe he'd return for a second season there a sophomore year. But no, he's coming out. L.A., going to be a bad team, going to be really pushing that youth movement up.
0: Yeah, obviously, we've seen like some players like Alex Ayafalo, like, you know, when you play with Kopitar, though, like it is possible to be successful. So who knows, I guess it would really depend on deployment. There it kind of seems with LA, you have to be on the top line, or you're probably not going to do anything. Uh, as far as Cider goes, like, what do you think? Do you think he has a chance to bump Filip Huronic and take over on the top power play as soon as next season? Mm, it's a tough one, and it's it's.
1: It, I really like Philip Peronik too. It's a, he's a guy that I had on my in my deep uh, dynasty this past season, and I want to find a way to keep him because I think his upside is is quite high if he can maintain that deployment. And I think Cider is a, a a clear threat to that. Um, and it might not happen this past, this coming season, but I think long term it does happen. Now, you never know how teams will will deploy. You know that maybe they find that giving Cider. More minutes to kill penalties, more minutes at even strength, you know, starting a lot in his defensive end because he's such an all around talent is going to be more beneficial than cutting Hironic's offensive minutes and trying to fill him up with some of those similar to what Dennis Cholosky was getting early in the season where that guy can't play in his own end. Uh So it made sense to get him his minutes in offensive situations. And that was hurting Hironic. That was the most frustrating thing. (laughs)
0: I Ugh, when i had heronic yeah you draft heronic you think that okay i got the top power play guy for sure then it was like for really weird reasons also they were saying oh because chelowski like shoots left or, or something so because of that heronic has to suffer I was like no clearly yeah. but by the end of the season they turned it around though like you say who knows what their motivations were last year since they were going for maybe the alexis lafreniere or byfield picks Exactly. So it, it, I think as they come out of this, which I, I don't expect they're going to try to
1: be bottom feeders for long. Another season will be definitely happening, but Stevie Y doesn't like to be in the basement for too, too long. Um, so, you know, long term, I think it will be on the pecking order of best defenseman on the team it'll be cider at the top and then it'll be heroic number two so um i think you definitely want to keep an eye on him and like i was saying turcotte uh maybe they do a fun line you know maybe they, they put a kid line together uh or maybe they once again they they are looking for lottery balls and they put you know turcotte and tyler madden and maybe gabe Velarde's back in the american league next season too and they they really build their kids up coming up strong that way and so so maybe he won't but a couple of dark horses um samuel poolin who probably people don't have on their radar too much, a Pittsburgh draft pick. He is by far and away their top prospect, really big shoot first player who's got a ton of skill, who is cheap, cheap, which is good in Pittsburgh. As we see, they they somehow find these players that no one's ever heard of out of a random name generator and put them on their top six wings. And all of a sudden they're getting a point of game for a couple weeks. And I think that pooling could be a type of kid that really makes a, a case for himself at a camp. And if he steps in, they're going to put him into a situation that's going to be beneficial. And so he's one to keep your eye on.
0: Interesting. Yeah, I guess we saw last year, like no one thought Brian Rust was anything more than maybe a half point per game guy at best. And then he got the right opportunity and he exploded. So why not, Dylan Poolin if you're saying he's a really highly touted prospect? So that's a guy, that's the thing with Pittsburgh, right? Anytime anyone goes to Pittsburgh, we saw Jason Zucker, everyone was falling over themselves to add him if they had the opportunity to when he went to Pittsburgh just because he was playing with Crosby. So if there's potentially going to be the same opportunity for Poolin, then why not? Yeah, exactly. And
1: and he, he's a really good player, too. And Pittsburgh does not have many of those coming up, too. So, you know, is he going to be an upgrade like Patty Marlowe's obviously an expiring deal? Um, does Jared McCann stay in the middle? Uh, does he move up and take a wing spot? And that would kind of steal that away. Uh, does Connor Sheary really belong in the top six next to Crosby? I don't know. You know, so I, I think that there's opportunities for, for a kid like Poulin as a 19 year old to come in and and step right into the NHL and, and potentially make an impact right away. Interesting. OK, the next two I've got here, it's kind of fun. It's uh, the Robertson brothers. So I think that there's a good chance we see both of them in the NHL next season. Um, so Nicholas is the youngest of the two. And uh, recently Kyle Dubas, uh, Maple Leafs GM there, said that they're going to give him every opportunity to step right into the NHL and, and in a good position too. And I think that that's not just lip service. I think that they're another team that is hard up against that cap. They need to find impactful players and... At, on cheap contracts. And the best way to do that is to to get those entry level deals. And so Robertson, I was doing a little digging on him uh, last week in that he had, he scored 1.2 goals per game in the OHL this past season. He had whatever, 53 in 40 in odd games. And that's the highest mark by an under 19 OHLer in the last 28 years. Oh. And it trails only Eric Lindros in the history of the OHL. So this kid was scoring goals at a rate that we hardly ever see in in the uh, Ontario Hockey League. And he's he's just that type of player that there was no reason he was supposed to be there in the second round last year. He's He's a really unique and kind of interesting guy, too, is that he was just, I think, five or six days away from being eligible for this year's draft. And the only reason he was is that he was born 12 weeks early. And so for a really premature kid to not only catch up to his peers, but just blow past them athletically is is pretty astounding. And then, you know, so he went back as a really, really young player as a draft plus one this year and just dominated and kind of how I expected it to go down. I had him in the low 20s on my board last season, um, but I didn't see him putting up this kind of these kind of points. And so, you know, they don't want to send him back to the Ontario Hockey League. He, he has nothing left to prove there. So it makes a lot of sense for him to stick around in Toronto. And, you know, they got a lot of goal scorers on that team. But that could be he could be one of those ones that they could maybe sacrifice one of their more expensive third liners, Janssen, Kapanen. Uh, Kerfoot sort of thing all those guys are making four plus mil uh, that he could slide in there making whatever 875 and potentially put up the same type of metrics
0: yeah wow and you know you think of the Leafs as like oh they're too stacked where would this guy fit in but if you think of it you've got like kind of I see it as Matthews, Nylander, Hyman let's say that's one line locked in Tavares Marner it's sort of like there's five guys that I expect to be in the top six I think Zach Hyman seems to have really earned that spot there uh, but yeah there is still that kind of sixth spot let's say beside Tavares and Marner and yeah maybe it's young. Maybe it's Kapanen, but yeah, maybe this Nicholas Robertson could be another option that isn't on people's radars. Until now, thanks to Cam Robinson.
1: (laughs) No problem. And then his brother um, who is a, a really fun player to watch too. He's a uh, much bigger and, but also a shoot first type of guy, um, who does have some pretty underrated hands too. It was funny. He was a real goal scorer uh, and junior for his draft eligible season. And then he came back the next year and really elevated his passing game. And I watched him up, uh, up close and personal at the world juniors. And I was really impressed with how he was moving the puck around. So this kid's, you know, six foot three plays over 200 pounds. He did get uh, three games of NHL action last year, but as a rookie in the american league you know scored 25 goals in 60 games was clicking it you know i think he put up nearly 50 points uh so dallas cannot score goals uh, i think Denz garyanov led their team with 20 this past season which is just sad to say out loud um so i think they could definitely look to infuse some more some more offense into their uh, into their lineup into their top six and and i think jason robertson could be one of
0: those guys oh yeah Dallas just has so many guys at least to me like sort of no-name-ish guys that somehow get into these good situations And like Gurianov is a great example we actually had a question from a patron Fred who asked if what Gurianov did this past season is sustainable he had 20 goals only nine assists though so 37 points in 64 games but it wasn't playing big minutes but he was like getting time like maybe just like we'd expect from Jason Robertson next season you know like Gurianov was playing with Sagan and Radulov for a bit with like uh, Pavelski and Hints for a bit he also Spent a lot of time with Jason Dickinson, and then one of like Perry Benner or Hinsa. So, are you thinking that Robertson could sort of potentially do what Gurianov did this year? And also, what what do you think about Gurianov?
1: Yeah, I think that stepping in Robertson and scoring 20 goals is is definitely doable if he's getting the type of minutes and type of uh, mates to play with that Guryanov was seeing, uh, which is going to be a little bit difficult because Guryanov is kind of stealing those minutes unless unless Robertson kind of bumps out Pavelski or Corey Perry, which I think he probably should push out Perry um, mm-hmm. if they really want to infuse some more speed and skill. Uh, but as far as Guryanov, you know, this is a player that's clicked at a high percentage rate, uh, historically in, in his career. So in the American League, his first three seasons there, he was, you know, 12 and a half, 17 and a half, and then 13% shooter. And then this past season in the NHL, he put up, you know, 15% on just just over two shots per game. So I think that that is probably a bit on the high side for his conversion rate, that he's the type of player that's probably going to live around the 12 to 13% range. And then, but what you want to see is you want to see those shots per game numbers go up. And I think that that's what we will see is now he's become more comfortable in the league that, you know, he put up 2.1 last year, maybe he's putting 2.8 next season and maybe he's only hitting on 13%, but he's still getting over 20 goals. So the the math kind of adds up. I think that he's a, He's a good player. He's a horse. He's one of those guys that when he was selected, whatever he went, 13th or 14th overall to to the stars, that a lot of people were kind of like, oh, that's a bit of a reach. And it was at the time. Uh, but what Dallas was doing is, that, you know, they were buying on a kid long term. They were they were looking at, you know, in four or five years, we could have ourselves a, a pretty impactful player who, you know, another big six foot three, 200 plus pound guy. Um that he he could be someone that could really make an impact for us, not just next season or the year after, but five and ten years down the road. And I think that's what's so kind of happening here. So at the end of the day, Karyanov was only seeing 13 minutes a night, and he was on the second power play, that there's definitely room to grow for him.
0: Also, I am seeing that his ice time was slowly inching up. Like, his last few games, i have been seeing, like, 14 and 16 even for one of the games. So who knows? Yeah, next year, like, maybe Guriano of someone to snatch up at the very end of a draft and hope that he does something, you know, someone you could drop right away if he doesn't produce. Uh, so, okay, I guess, oh, do you still have any more players on your list of players who might have an impact next year? I know you could probably go on forever. You probably have a lot of players on your radar. Uh, so, yeah, did, is there anyone else you wanted to throw out before we get to more specific questions? I do
1: have a few, but I'll, I'll mention one in particular that probably not a lot of people are thinking about is um, Alex Barboulet is a, a Tampa Bay prospect. And so these guys just make a habit of finding these players, right? We know Tyler Johnson, or Johnson, Johnson I, I'm used to talk in swedish names but um they go out and they sign they find these players that go undrafted and you know so this kid was tearing up the q uh, the qmjhl there a couple seasons ago and of course the lightning were the ones that that grabbed him and got a contract signed and so you know in 2018-19 he went to the american league and scored you know nearly 35 goals and, and just about a point a game as a first year player in the american league and then last year he did pretty much the same you know scoring 27 goals and 56 points in 60 games he's definitely ready to push up into to see some nhl ice and the lightning are going to have a difficult couple of decisions to make right anthony sorelli is needs a new contract and and there's little to believe that he's not going to get paid because that kid is legitimately good and and like an honest to goodness selkie selkie level player already uh not to mention the offense so they're gonna they're gonna have to pay him a lot of money and so again another team that's going to be looking searching around for that cheap entry-level contract that can hopefully produce some offense and, and the lightning are the best in the business of doing that so i think that we see them looking to cut bait on a player maybe it's tyler johnson you know maybe it's someone who's making that four or five million bucks that they don't necessarily need him and it can be replaced and so Barre Boulay I think is another player that lots of great numbers in the American League lots of great numbers in junior you look at that that pedigree that he has and I think that he could be a a kind of a sneaky ad late draft
0: yeah uh, I'll be honest I'm sure no one's surprised I hadn't heard of Alex Barre-Boulay before you just mentioned him now but I definitely can see it happening it's kind of like in Pittsburgh right like sometimes just random players on Tampa get into good situations and they go off like just this season Alex Killorn was almost at a point per game for a stretch mainly I think because he was on a line with I think he was on a Stamkos line Stamkos and Kucherov were swapped and then also Killorn was on the top power play so I mean Stamkos and Kucherov were split and Killorn got yeah with Stamkos and so as, theoretically why couldn't like Barre Boulay get into a similar spot maybe not top power play but yeah if Killorn could do it and, and he's someone who you know we never thought of as someone who's going to be impactful fantasy wise similar to Brian Rust uh, so yeah an interesting situation people are always interested in hearing these players from either Tampa or Pittsburgh I feel like so that's a good name to have on our radar Okay, so let's go to some more questions. I guess one more from Victor here, and then Victor could go down to the bottom of the queue. But he asked about a goalie, Jeremy Swayman, and he asked, how high is Jeremy Swayman going to climb in your goalie rankings this year? And I looked him up. He's a Bruins goalie, or he's owned by the Boston Bruins, and last year he played in the University of Maine and had a 9.39 save percentage in 34 games. So obviously a very good season for Jeremy Swayman. And you look at Boston, they have Rask and Halak, uh, you know, 33 and 34 years of age, respectively. So I guess... You know, Rask and Halak aren't gonna be there forever. Is this guy Jeremy Swayman the future in Boston? Is he someone that you have rising in your rankings after this good season in Maine? He's had a tremendous season in Maine. And so I, I know this because
1: uh, I, I cover the Canucks for, for Dauber prospects and they have a goalie prospect who was playing there, Matthew Thiessen, who played all of seven minutes of action behind Swayman this past season. Um, so he did not see much time. And, and I, I don't blame them either because Swayman was that good. Uh, so he is... A big netminder, you know, six foot three. That's basically you need that check mark if you're if you're going to have a good shot at being a starter in this league. Um, he uh, he signed his contract, so he's leaving after his third season there at Maine, uh, after putting up great numbers his whole career at college. And so, you know, the most interesting part of that is that we had that report from Tuukka Rass saying that this next season could be his last. Oh, right, yeah, and, yeah, which is which is very very interesting because you know, I don't know if that's actually going to happen, but. You know they've got Dan Vladder um, down in Providence who had a, a really really strong season there too. I think he put up like a damn near 940 save percentage and and so he he's kind of an interesting guy. They, they got Kyle Kizer. Um, Kaiser, I should say, uh, who's another kind of young big goaltender who's got some chops, but uh, it's basically gonna be it's gonna be Vladder and and Swayman challenging for that next that next gig behind who's going to be the next starter in Boston. And so it, it, I think that Vladder's got the head start after being the starter in in Providence this past season, but Swayman's gonna come in and he's gonna push for starts. He's still a young goaltender prospect, who which often takes time outside of these Carter Hearts, these very elite netminders that that kind of can work their way in after, you know, two two draft plus uh, seasons. And so I'm expecting that you know Swayman's going to come in. He'll be a backup guy. Next season in the American League, Uh, the year after that, he'll be a starter in the American League. The year after that, he'll probably be a starter in the American League, and then he's going to push for for NHL ice. So, you know, as good a season as he had this year and and as interesting a prospect as he is, I still think that he's a long wait. And for me, I don't usually wait on goaltenders in fantasy unless they are, you know, high, high end guys. Spencer Knight, you know, we got a kid coming up, Askaroff, in this draft that that's going to be one of those ones that you draft and you sit on for two or three years and you're okay with it.
0: I see. So yeah, Swayman, who knows, maybe there is a path for him to become the number one goalie in Boston, but you're saying that's probably like a four or five years away type of thing. And who knows what could happen between now and then. So someone to keep your eye on at least. But yeah, after this Tuka Rask announcement, if that comes to fruition, then yeah, obviously there's going to be a big scrambling probably in Dynasty Leagues to fight figure out who's that next Boston goalie to own. You said either Swayman or who was the guy that you said currently has the edge? Yeah, Dan Vladder, And so he's, I think he's only 22, 23,
1: and he's big. He's 6'5", 6'6". He's an athletic netminder who he was kind of a a mid-round pick um, by the Bruins back in, God, I think it was 2015. I'm just trying to pull up his Elite Prospects page right now. Um, Taking the long rate. Yeah, so 2015, third rounder. um, He was basically what Swayman's hoping to do. Uh, this coming season, where he played thirty odd games there for the Bruins uh, for the Providence Bruins in eighteen nineteen, and and didn't do so hot. And then this past year, kind of took the reins a little bit more and and looked really good there. Just uh, just twenty five games for him, but still the nine thirty six save percentage. So a big goaltender who's putting up some good points in the American League. I, I definitely think that he's got the edge.
0: All right, Dan Vladder, another name that I'll have to add to my growing list of names every time I talk to you. I sort of afterwards have a big checklist of players to check back in on in a year or so. Uh, but since we're speaking of goalies, I do recall a conversation we had, this is already maybe like two, three years ago, where I was asking you just like, if you're starting a brand new league right now, who's like the number one goalie to go for? I recall you said Matt Murray, which seemed like the answer at the time, you know, after leading the Penguins to a couple of cups. Obviously, he's not the answer anymore. I'm curious if I were to ask you that now. Who is in prospect circles? or like dynasty leagues like who's the goalie you go for if you have I guess it doesn't make sense to say the first pick of a goalie but like let's say you if you wanted to grab the best goalie is the answer like just someone like Vasilevsky or Hellebuck you know the two guys who were the best this season and still relatively young or you know are people starting to think that you know Igor Shostyorkin or Ilya Samsonov or Elvis Merzlikins are one of these like what, what's your take if you could have any goalie right now on your dynasty team who would you want?
1: I I'd, uh, I'd probably take Vasilevsky just because he's gonna he's gonna bring me a whole bunch of points right off the hop and uh, and he's young and Tampa Bay's good. Um, but if I'm if I'm talking prospects, it, it's just Yorkin for sure with with a with a kind of a bullet for me and and that's the guy I got too. So it's been two years now that I was sitting on him and that's one of the rare occasions where it's not a truly straight and cut clear. Going to be an all star netminder, but what he was doing in the, in the KHL there for several seasons, he just doesn't lose games. He consistently puts up 940 save percentages, stopping 35, 40 pucks a night. And he's doing that in the KHL. And so a lot of people are saying, you know, oh, he's playing on a stacked team. Well, every year he would be a platoon with whatever veteran goalie they'd go out and pay big money to sign and every year he would outproduce them and so we saw it he came over and with the rangers and you know i I think some people probably chalked it up to a little bit of he was riding the hot hand and you know it's unlikely that he's going to play 65 games and put up a a 940 say percentage or something like that but he is that type of talent and so for me it's just Jorkin, and it kind of helps out a lot that the rangers are you know some of the had probably the deepest prospect pool in the league you could look at the kings you could look at the hurricanes too but as at their very top end of their prospects tons and tons of talent and that includes just york so i think they have a very bright future there he is quite clearly the the man there now uh so you're going to be getting starts right off the hop from him so yeah, it's, it's just Yorkin for me. I do like Ilya Samsonov a lot. I really like Spencer Knight a lot. Um, I think Mers Lincolns is good, but I don't love Columbus. Um, yeah, like I said, I like Samsonov, but I don't love Washington long-term. Uh, so th- those are some of the negatives for those guys.
0: Yeah, and actually Spencer Knight is interesting because I think we talked about him last year and I was like, oh, okay, I guess you're going to have to wait forever for him because Florida just signed Bobrovsky, but the way this last season went, who knows? Maybe it's not too long before Spencer Knight comes in and could potentially challenge. And yeah, as far as just Yorkin, you're saying that the Rangers have the deepest prospect pool. Like They all also- also have all of these all-star existing NHLers like Panarin and Zibanejad and Chris Kreider so this could be a very scary team very very soon so yeah it's just maybe for this year you still want Vasilevsky but maybe if I ask you this in a year from now you're gonna say Shostyorkin over Vasilevsky even
1: yeah potentially if if I got an offer today for for my Shostyorkin for Vasilevsky I would probably have to mash the accept button just because I'm always trying to win a championship but it would hurt me a little bit
0: Yeah, maybe you could still ask for more just because Shostyorkin has all of that hype right now. And Vasilevsky, you know, old news. And he he had a pretty weak start to the season, right? That's the thing with goalies. It's so hard to predict. And even guys you think are going to be slam dunks like Vasilevsky end up having rough stretches, though. He also had a rough stretch at the end of the season. Actually, like Vasilevsky wasn't that great this year overall. But yeah, I guess you do get those guaranteed wins. I guess it depends a lot on your league settings. Definitely. And I was going to say, if we're talking purely on skill
1: alone, then give me yorkin I think he's the better netminder. I think that Vasilevsky gets a lot of love because of, you know, he was a first rounder and he looked really good early. Um, but on a pure skill basis, if it's, you know, I got to stop one puck or I'm going into game seven of the cup final, I I want yorkin
0: and then I guess how about as a flip question to before where we asked like to name some players who you think are gonna make an impact next year? Uh, we also had a couple of questions from Victor and also from Kevin Shea. Like who's a player that you think is like overhyped that people should be trying to sell on in their dynasty leagues right now? Uh, yeah, I missed that one to prepare. Um I could come back to it later if you want to think about it.
1: No, it's okay. Well, I think there's a couple obvious ones. I think, you know, Tolvinin is is pretty clearly one of those guys that he's lost a lot of his luster, though, the last couple of seasons. So I'm not sure he hits that marker. I think Krabsoff is one of those guys that we need to be wary Mm -hmm. about. Um, you know, a kid, Grigory Denisenko, is is an interesting one too, because You know, coming into this past season, I had him kind of earmarked to be one of the best players outside of the NHL, and he really didn't deliver on that. He wasn't great for locomotive in the KHL, he was okay, but he was seeing good ice. Um, he was good at the world juniors as he was expected to be you know he was I think he was the MVP of it the year before but I didn't I didn't think his level of play really elevated that much he got the points um, but he didn't he didn't really stand out and, and grab a hold of the tournament as I kind of hoped he would uh, so you know he's he's an interesting guy he's got a little jam to his game but uh i actually i kind of hoped that he would be a player that would sneak under the radar a bit and then slide into the panthers lineup and be like a serious offensive player and i'm starting to question that a little bit uh yeah those are those are couple guys off the top of my head anyways
0: you're just such a positive guy like it's a hard question for you to have to talk negative about someone you always see the the positives i guess if i would have asked you this a couple years ago you would have said nolan patrick and then you would have looked really smart ah yeah you should ask me that two years ago <laughs> okay let's go to a question from michael jonathan assuming he signs with minnesota where would you rank kirill kaprizov among the other khl imports and he brought up like you know panarin dadnov radulov gusev who we talked about earlier so i looked into it like kaprizov has had a great season in the khl this year 62 points in 57 games with scott st petersburg so he was right among the league leaders in points he's like three behind vadim Shipachev, who we all remember from all that drama in vegas uh, and by the way Shipachev played four more more games and uh Kaprizov was only three points back so who knows if they played the same number of games maybe it would have been KHL leading scorer Kiro Kaprizov that we would be talking about now uh so yeah assuming he goes to Minnesota do you think he's the type of guy that can put up like Dadanov or Panarin like numbers in his first season in the NHL uh
1: no not really um I think yeah sorry I, I was just coming off being so positive
0: there too no it's good now you could put him as your answer maybe of a sell high person right now
1: sure yeah if you could if you can sell capra uh, as a player or for a player who's near a point per game or something like that who isn't you know or if you're going for a championship if you can go grab yourself a 30 year old who's quite clearly gonna get a ton more points in him I, I would do that I think that he has more upside than we're gonna see this next season if he does come over um, because again we're talking about a huge culture shift we're talking about a transition into a league that plays much different systems they're tighter checking uh, the ice sheets are gonna be a different size some nights it's gonna be an adjustment for him and i also don't love minnesota so you know best case scenario he's playing on the top line with stall and Fiala, and in that situation if he's seeing 19 minutes a night he's seeing three and a half four minutes on the top power play then yeah you know i I think that in that situation his skill set is is designed to put up 60 points um realistically i don't I don't know if, if that's going to happen. Uh, the coaches will have to forgive a lot of defensive miscues and and that adjustment period. and And that's going to be difficult for a team like the Wild, which has been just habitually stuck in this middle ground of being up against the cap. And not being that great of a team, that constantly kind of bubble wild card team who doesn't get to draft high and and hardly ever gets playoff gates. So I think they're going to be stuck in that in that again next year where they're going to try to be pretty good. And are they really willing to to eat kind of the miscues that he's going to have and and the hiccups that he's going to have early on in his career? So uh, for next season along, uh, you know, I think we'll probably see his game get better as the year goes on, similar to Gusev. So you might find yourself holding an asset on a player who's playing third line minutes and, you know, isn't putting up any points. And you're like, oh, I should have sold high on him early. At that point, you're probably just stuck and you're going to hold on to him and hope that in 21, 22 or 22, 23, that he really starts to find his game and blossoms into that high end offensive performer. But, you know, outside of Fiala. I I don't I don't like much in Minnesota. So it's going to be difficult for him to really be surrounded with a ton of high end players. And this is a guy who's 23 already. So he should be physically ready to come into the league. But I think that those those hurdles are going to be in front of him for the first four or five months anyways
0: yeah okay so Caprizov I guess you're right we talked about Kevin Fiala just recently on an episode we were looking at players who had a big difference between their first half and their second half and Kevin Fiala like totally shot up and became a superstar and actually we mentioned that can he keep this up next year and Ben and I were speculating on who his line mates would be and we thought oh maybe if Caprizov comes that'll help Fiala but obviously we're also hoping for Fiala to help Caprizov and it seems to be that it'll need to be like a perfect situation for them both to be able to be like you know point per game guys next year or or what actually what do you think of kevin fiala in general do you think what we saw at the end of the season 34 points in the last 34 games was that for real i like kevin fiala a lot yeah i do think that was for real I, i mean maybe he doesn't click
1: quite that that high for for the entirety of the season um but he's another guy who's 23 years old and he's been in the league for a while now kind of he, he's got probably close to 300 games under his belt um and now he's just finding his stride so we talk about these players so it, like uh, referencing for cappers off there the, the difficulty of coming into the league and then being a player so you know he basically doubled his shooting percentage from last year Fiala, we're talking here and and so that's obviously going to be a huge a huge boost to him but no, I I'm one of the guys that drafted him in in the redrafts uh part of my league and then sat on him for the first I don't know 15 16 20 games and then was like I better cut bait it's not going to be this season all only to watch him explode down the rest of the season. So uh no, I think that this kid's definitely got 70 75 80 point upside in the right situation if he can be surrounded with those those types of players otherwise we're probably looking at a guy who's going to be you know 65 maybe 70 points and kind of leading a, a dead horse squad
0: yeah well definitely Fiala someone i'm going to be interested to see what happens next year because he's coming off just such an amazing stretch him and oliver bjorkstrand both just like came out of nowhere and had these crazy runs and now we have to see if it's for real because they're both on teams where you don't expect a lot of offense to come
1: definitely yeah and and columbus has a couple of fun kids in, in texier and and bemstrom as well that are really going to come up and be nosing their way and trying to steal some of bjorkstrand's uh, ice time too so it will be interesting to watch columbus mm-hmm. uh
0: since we're on minnesota i was trying to think when we were talking about goalies like who's going to be a goalie next year that's like never even played in the nhl before or, like has barely played that maybe will t- you know really break out like this year you know we saw obviously just at the end or merzlikens for that crazy stretch Ilya samsonov was another one you know wasn't drafted in a lot of one-year leagues but ended up being really valuable uh maybe i could see it being kapo kakinen over in minnesota and obviously you know more about him i don't know anything about him all i know is that devin dubnik like completely flamed out and alex stalock was good but he's alex stalock like i can't imagine him being a number one goalie for a whole season so if you had to pick like one goalie who's never made an impact yet that could next year become a goalie worth owning in a fantasy league do you think cocknan is
1: one of those guys uh he is that guy for me and i I hope my buddies in my fantasy league aren't listening to this podcast because he i've got him earmarked (laughs) as someone who i'm i'm very much watching for this to happen because with these young goaltenders that aren't up yet is that you're looking for a situation that they can come in and steal. And so, you know, with Jordan Bennington in St. Louis, he wasn't the guy that I thought would be the one to steal it, but it was quite clear that St. Louis was right for the picking in, in the crease. And so I think the same thing can be said with Minnesota right now. As you said, you know, Devin Dubnik is not the player he once was. Alex Stalock is who we think he is, and, and that isn't an NHL starter. And so um, for Kakanen, he's uh, another big netminder. He's got the good size. He's going to be turning 24 this summer, so he he's definitely ready. He has whatever I'm looking at it here about 100 AHL games to his to his credit, which is a, a nice kind of maturation process down there. And that's what we've seen. He's been playing pro in Finland since 2014. Um, putting he put up strong numbers in the league for a couple of years. Uh, kind of adjusted to the American League and put up a nine ten last uh, in 2018 19, and and then jumped up to nearly a nine thirty this past season for Iowa. And so. Those are those are what you want to see from a young netminder just constantly coming in, adjusting to a new league, then putting up the big numbers, crossing, adjusting to a new league, then putting up the big numbers. So he's the type of guy that, you know, I don't expect him to waltz in and steal the job right off the hop and be a 920 goaltender, but he has the potential to be that backup or to, there's an injury and he comes up and he gets a start. Oh, he does well. He gets another start. He does really well. Uh, he can get that ball rolling and that's how you steal a job. And so it's it's a process and it takes some time, especially when you have established netminders making a lot more money than he does on their cap, um, which is hard to justify sitting them or burying them. Uh, so it will take some effort, but he's definitely one to watch as as a, as a guy who could steal a job and then all of a sudden you've got found money off the waiver wire.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's very hard to predict what's going to happen with these goalie situations, but it seems like that is, like you said, a situation that's ripe for someone new to come in, kind of like in Carolina. I feel like it's ripe for like an Alex and to potentially come in because I I don't have a lot of faith in Petr Murazic. Personally, it depends what Carolina decides to do. Uh, Okay, so next question. This one I don't understand. So I'm hoping, uh, Matthew asked this in the Facebook group and I asked him to explain it and he said, like, don't worry, you'll understand soon. So I'm assuming Cameron, you know what we're talking about here. Matthew asked, sing us the song of, then in quotes, the true, truth miller odds on him starting next year so are you can you sing us a song about the truth miller like i was trying to figure is it k Andre miller who had all this like unfortunate stuff come out this this week where people were being racisted like so but i i apparently he's like a really good prospect and and that I, jt miller ryan miller he's at odds on him starting next year so makes me think like ryan miller so do you know what this is about
1: yeah, it's about Condre Miller, and, and yeah, we can get right out of the way of just just horseshit what happened to him the other day there. That's unacceptable, and yeah, I'm a little disappointed that uh, that the Rangers didn't come out sooner with a with a more firm stance on the matter. And uh, I did see, I think, this morning that the FBI is involved in trying to track whoever was doing that, and, and as they should. Uh, but Condre Miller is – He's a hell of a player. He's very interesting. Um, I re- I referred to him as the truth uh, last at the end of last season, back in you know late 2019, sort of thing. Is that he's this six foot four, 210 pound left shot defenseman who can skate and create and has a huge shot. And he stepped into Wisconsin as a rookie and put up damn near a point a game. And then this past season took a little bit of a step back, but Wisconsin as uh, as a whole really underperformed for a team that had Cole Caulfield and and Alex Turcott and, and Miller on that team. Um, and he did just sign his entry level contract. So he's coming out of school. He's coming to the organization, but you know, the back end for the Rangers isn't, isn't as wide open as it once was. And so it's, I think his upside is very, very big on the left side. You know, they, they don't have a ton of, of guys that are really going to block them. You know, they got Mark Stahl, they got Brendan Smith, they got Ryan Lindgren. But I'm just wondering if they want to slide another 20-year-old into their lineup right away. As we as we saw last year, I expected them to be a team that wanted to lose and then it would have been easy. Um, but they, they look so good this past season that they're probably eyeing up a playoff spot next year. And so he'll have a little bit of work to do if he wants to steal an NHL job as a rookie. Um, I don't think some AHL time would be bad for him. But long term. You know, he's looking at playing with either Adam Fox, Tony D'Angelo, or, or Jacob Truba uh, as his right side options there. And, you know, those are all great options for him. And I think that wherever he lands, kind of in that pecking order, that he is quite clearly the the top left side D that's closest to the NHL right now. They have another kid named Nils Lundqvist, who just obliterated the U 20 scoring record for defensemen this past season uh, in the SHL. He is very, very good, too. Another player that I was much higher on than most in his draft class. So, so they're going to have an insane top four in a couple of years. And the athleticism that Miller has, the uniqueness to his size and his skill set, uh, I think will set him apart, especially in multi-cat leagues. So he's he's definitely one you should have on your radar in, in multi-cat leagues. And then, you know, just in point-only leagues, it might be a little bit difficult for him to, to weasel out a ton of points just purely on the, the sense that D'Angelo and Fox are going to be higher play creators for the power play. But right.
0: that big, big shot of his and, and his kind of all-around game, is he's a fun player okay yeah and by the way Adam Fox is someone who sort of gets lost in the shuffle because whenever we talk about rookies from this year we're talking about Makar and Hughes on D but Adam Fox had a really good year and it'll be interesting to see if he could challenge uh, Tony D'Angelo for the top power play maybe get in on a, even more points next season I, I actually wanted to ask you something about defensemen in general kind of similar to my goalie question uh, if you were to draft a new dynasty league today I asked like who which goalie would you want number one like, which defenseman would you want because uh, you know you would think maybe like Roman Yossi or John Carlson or maybe Dougie Hamilton were the three most valuable defensemen this season this past season then you have Hughes and McCar, who had such impactful rookie seasons so I guess it probably depends what categories are being tracked but for like points only who would be the one that you would go for as high having the highest upside over the next you know like in a dynasty league if you were drafting right now
1: uh it's it's either it's Makar Hughes and Dolan for me oh Darlene. of course uh, yeah 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 and uh it's it's very difficult because I love the situations that McCarr and Hughes are are in. I think that Buffalo still has the opportunity to kind of enter into that fray. They just can't seem to to get out of their own way. But uh, it would be one of those three for me. And oh God, you know, I. I I honestly think that, that Quinn Hughes is, is the more talented of, of the two between him and McCar, but I'm going with Darlene. He's the guy that I pegged to be potentially the first defenseman to hit triple digits. It's just a matter of getting him in the right situation and are surrounded by the right type of players. So I'll, I'll stick with Rasmus Darlene.
0: OK, well, yeah, I didn't have him on my radar for some reason. I guess, yeah, a bit of a disappointing season for him, but probably you can't blame him. And still super young and had that great rookie season. Uh, who do you think is going to win the Calder this year? Assuming they still do that, like Hughes or McCarr, who do you think deserves it?
1: Um, I'll just I'll just quickly say that that Darlene put up like a nearly a 60 point pace. He was pretty good this year too and and just barely as a 19 year old. Um I think that they probably give the Calder to McCarr. I think that uh, the fans or the the media that vote on it probably enjoy watching Colorado a little bit more than Vancouver. And Makar is more of that freewheeling goal scoring type of guy who can just wheel like nobody's business. But uh, but yeah, if I'm voting, it's Hughes. And I know that I I might uh, get called a little bit of a homer for that. But but I honestly I I watch the two a lot and I love them both. And I think it's razor thin, but I, I think that Hughes was more impactful to the canucks than McCarr was to the avalanche
0: okay so next we've got alex wyatt asked he's gonna miss out on lafreniere and byfield in his draft who is he looking at he's got a third round or a third overall pick and a sixth overall pick in his farm draft this year i'm guessing you're probably gonna say marco rossi based on what you were saying before is that the answer for him at third overall
1: yeah Definitely, it's Marco Rossi. He is so, so good. People are going to be... There's a lot of draft boards out there that have him still hovering around kind of 8, 9, 10, and uh, they're going to be kicking themselves in a few years. This guy plays an awful lot, like Brad Marchand, uh, without all the licking and and some of the antics. Um, He is he's five foot nine, but he's 180 pounds. So he's, he's strong. Um, he's a consummate worker from all reports. He's, uh, has a terrific attitude and work rate. And, uh, and then the skills just speak for themselves. And so he, another one, like I said, could, could very conceivably be in the NHL next fall and, uh, and be putting up some points too. So, you know, he's, he's my guy at number three. And then, you know, you've got a you've got a. you've got to, Ton of fun options for that next pick for him. So obviously Lucas Raymond and uh, Alex Holtz, the two Swedish kids. Holtz is a gunslinger. Uh, he's going to score thirty-five plus goals in this league. He has the best release in the class. He's very very talented, and he also has to go along with that package. Uh, nice hands, really strong skater too. Uh, not necessarily elite, but uh, very very good. And then for Raymond, he is an explosive skater. So high high end skill in that regard. Great playmaker. His shot is just a little bit below Holtz, but again they the the three skill sets there are both very, very high. And then you got Tim Stutzel too, who, who's the the center of the bunch. Very, very fast. Again, elite two-step player um, playing in the DEL. He's, it'd be really interesting to see where he plays next season because i think he's he should move away from that league and get into a league that has a little more back pressure and can challenge him a bit more um you know people are going to look at Jamie Dreesdale who who's the best defenseman in this group by a mile uh, Cole Perfetti who just tore apart the OHL so there's going to be a ton of options uh, for that 6th or 7th overall pick whatever they had
0: yeah, so Alex, I guess let us know who you end up deciding, but hopefully, yeah, you get Marco Rossi with that third pick, and Cam turns out to be right about him, saying maybe potentially even number two, so someone to definitely have your eye on. Uh, okay, we have a question from Eric Doust from Frozen Tools. So, like, what a star-studded lineup of people in our Facebook group with Cam and, and Eric. By the way, we just supported uh, the new Frozen Tools Patreon, and we definitely recommend people check that out. Eric does a great job there. We use Frozen Tools to prep every single episode. Uh, he has a question, I guess, specifically for you as a Canucks fan, Cam, uh, what is so appealing about this Triampkin guy? And I looked him up, Nikita Triampkin. he did play this year, he's a 25-year-old defenseman on Vancouver, uh, he was drafted in the third round in 2014, he only had 9 points in 66 games, playing 16 minutes and 44 seconds per game on average. Is there is there anything appealing about this guy? Is, is this something you've said in the past?
1: Yeah, he's a great guy and, and I also fully support Frozen Tools, what a, what a great resource. Um, Triampkin's tall that's it. <laughs> like he he's very very tall. He's six foot eight, six foot nine, depending on who you ask. Um, and that is gets people thinking like Ooh, maybe this is Zdeno Chara. Um, it took Chara a long time to figure it out. Uh, maybe it took it'll take Triumph in a long time, and he'll figure it out, and he'll be this dominant Hall of Fame level player, which he will not be. Spoiler alert. Um, he left Vancouver at a time where they were the worst team in the league and their blue line was the worst part of their team. And he couldn't crack. uh, He couldn't get out of the the third pair and didn't want to go down to the American league. And so he returned to Russia and signed a three year contract in the K and he's left with this kind of shroud of potential around him for Canucks fans. And so for the last three seasons, they've been, kind of projecting what could be when he comes back could he step in and and be this top four player for them um and the answer is no he can't be he saw his you know, over year over year in the KHL his minutes decrease his production decrease they took a letter off of his jersey um i would call it overall not a great decision for him to leave and it didn't do much for his development and then i just recently saw that his agent uh, cuz he doesn't have a contract with with in the K or with the Canucks at the moment uh, that his agent says you know he's yeah very very much excited to to come over and to play for the Canucks again but he has no interest in going to the American League that basically they think that that's silly to even suggest um, and so for me it's like this is a guy who hasn't proved capable of playing in the NHL especially now on a Canucks team that's their left side of their defense isn't half bad um yeah to to basically outright say that I have no interest in playing the American League. if if I'm the GM, I'm saying, you know, sure, we'll sign you, come to camp. and
0: if you don't like what we
1: have to say, then, you know, you'll head back to Russia. And that's kind of what I'm expecting out of them.
0: Okay, so nothing, nothing noteworthy fantasy-wise, but interesting for the, for the Canucks fans. Uh, though, actually, actually, one more Canucks question that I remember uh, Brian wanted me to ask you. Uh, what do you think about what's going to happen in the crease for Vancouver over the next, I guess, like five, ten years, potentially? They've got Thatcher Demko and now DiPietro uh, as their two goalies of the future. Who do you think is the one that people should be focusing on if they're building their team right now? Mm, it's uh,
1: uh, that answer uh, is coming that that will be kind of shown what the organization is leaning towards because they have a huge decision to make with Jacob Markstrom. um He's played at a high high end starting goaltender level this past season, you know, arguably Vesna level for a, a good chunk of it. Um, he's a real deal and I really like Jacob Markstrom because he's taken such a long road to get there. He was dubbed the best goaltender outside the NHL for how many years when he was playing in Flor- in the Florida system. And it just seemed like Pucks would squeeze through him, um, another big guy. But he is he has found his game and his style, and he's going to earn every penny of this next big contract. And whether that's in Vancouver is yet to be seen. So I think that they're going to do their best to sign him. And that means that Thatcher Demko's on his way out because they can't protect both goalies in the expansion draft. Um, so if they extend Markstrom and give him, you know, five years, six plus million a year – that that means that they either run with him and Demco next season and watch Demco leave for nothing in the expansion draft, or they have to actively look to move Demko and try to recoup some, some value there, which is really difficult to trade young goaltenders. They don't often provide nearly the value that they will to their new organization. If they become a starter uh, or they let Markstrom walk, which would be very, very difficult. And then it's Demko's show and they have to go out and sign kind of a, a backup platoon style veteran for a year before Di Pietro comes up and and tries to challenge him. I've heard for a couple seasons now that there are some in the organization that value Di Pietro more than Demko, that they think he has he has what it takes. And so in the goalie world that, that, that could mean a whole myriad of things, but often it's psychological as much as it is skill. And so Di Pietro is this unflappable character who, you know, he, there, there isn't a bad goal that can stay with him. He's, he's a really positive, upbeat guy. And not to say that Thatcher Demko isn't, um, but I, I, that's like a real earmark of Di Pietro's. And, but at the same time, you know, D. Pietro's also six foot, which is a, a big knock on a player. And, and, Demco's six foot three. It's at this point, whatever they do with Markstrom is going to tell you who they value more in the organization or where they have to go. Anyways, if they feel they have to re-sign Markstrom, then that just automatically puts DiPietro as the next goalie of the future.
0: Right. And I guess the problem is we don't even know, like, what if they try to sign Markstrom and just can't? Like, Markstrom obviously gets a say in this as well. So hopefully mm-hmm. we'll get some answers. But it kind of sounds like you're saying that it's a coin flip at this point, like Di Pietro or Demco, at least now until we get more information.
1: Yeah, and and you can look Demko's a lot closer
0: to to being it
1: whether he's right. doing that in Vancouver or he's doing it in another organization like Seattle or if they trade him elsewhere. Carolina is a team that I've been I've been kind of pumping for a while as they should be all over trying to trade for Thatcher Demko. I think it makes a ton of sense for their organization. I was pushing you know a year and a half ago that the Canucks should be trying to part, uh, pry Martin a. cash out of them, but that's obviously not going to happen at this point. But uh, yeah, a team like that, you know, I, I think Demko would step in and be a really really versatile asset for them that could blend. In as a starting netminder within the next year or two. But wherever he goes, he's a lot closer than DiPietro, anyways, for the fantasy landscape.
0: What if Vancouver throws in Triampkin along with hey. Then they could pull Nichas, maybe. <laughs> Sold. Yeah. <laughs> okay, a patron Dylan asks, uh, I'd love to hear Cam's opinion on what the Red Wings prospects and sophomores will have uh, impacts next season. So obviously Dylan is a Red Wings fan. So he listed like Zadina, Cider, who you've already talked about, Valeno, Rasmussen, Chalowski. Uh, so yeah, he's he says, yes, my Red Wings fandom is showing. I guess specifically Philip Zadina is an interesting guy to talk about. He played a bit this year he had 15 points in 28 games though he was like on the uptick and seeing top line deployment with Larkin and Bertuzzi before he got hurt though of course Mantha was hurt at the time so who knows if Zadina would have gotten that spot like what's your guess for next season on Detroit do you think Zadina could bump one of Mantha or Bertuzzi to play with Dylan Larkin or do you think he's probably going to be a second liner what kind of upside are you expecting
1: Zadina's good. He's the best of those bunch. Um, he uh, Again, it's just it's so hard to really figure out what Detroit is going to do uh, for the next season and a bit. Uh, but I, I think that what we saw there while Mantha was out and, and Zadina was up on the top line, that that was fairly indicative of what type of skill level he has and, and the type of player he's going to be. At the same time, Mantha is further along in that developmental cycle. And so if the team is deciding, hey, we want to be good, uh, we're going to just load up one line or or we're going to try to be good anyways. and We're going to load up one line that Mantha is probably the guy you want in that situation for next year. Uh, I think that they should go out and get themselves a a decent second line center. And then I would put Zadine up on the top line and I would move Mantha down to the second line to try to drive play from there. So it's it, at that point, though, you know, you're they're kind of hoping Robbie Fabry can be that guy for them. I'm not sure if that's that's going to be the case with his knee injuries, but uh, they're a bad team. But Zadine is the best uh, the best talent they have up front. And I think long term, he's going to be their best forward. So I, I do have a lot of time for him. I think Joe valeno's going to be. Pushing to be that guy in a couple of years, but he's not there yet to be that second line center too, to to kind of help them spread out their offense a bit. He's a very speed driven forward who has a lot of skill. Uh, I think he's, he's going to be a fun one for that organization, but he's still just kind of finding his way as a as a rookie pro this past season. And then on the back end, we talked a little bit about those D-men. Uh, their goaltending is is another area of uh, that has some concern there too. Is that what, what's going to what's what's really coming up to to push? You know, so they got Keith Petruzelli uh, who played at Quinnipiac. Quinnipiac uh, as I stumble over my words here Um, they don't they don't have a ton of really super interesting guys over in their depth chart for goal as well so uh, I think they have a lot of holes to plug coming up but uh, if they can if they can do this right and they can land a couple of high-end picks uh, they could be scary at least offensively
0: I'm seeing a list of goalie prospects from Dauber Hockey from back in November and there's a goalie named Philip Larson so mm-hmm. I don't know that's a name <laughs> I could throw out there potentially I guess it could be a goalie for Detroit
1: yeah and and you know he's he's a guy I think he played most of his season in the ECHL this past year so I I don't have a I don't have a ton of hope that he's going to be a, a player right. anytime soon he he was good for Denver a couple years ago in the NCAA if I recall correctly but yeah he he definitely couldn't find a role in the American League last year yeah here we go he's played most of his season in the ECHL so he's he's a he's a guy who's potential you know he was he showed some good stuff there for a couple seasons a couple years ago but I I think that's still a bit of a long shot for him
0: yeah and and speaking of Zadina so the guy who was picked before him in that year's draft uh, Brady Kachuk we have a question from Corey about Brady Kachuk or more specifically he asked for like what prospect plays most like Brady Kachuk in this draft or last year's draft so he kind of wants to know the next Brady Kachuk but let's focus on Kachuk for a second he had a big year this year 21 goals 23 assists for 44 points in 71 games that's a 51 point pace but in a bangers league he was also giving you 106 pins 259 shots 303 hits he even won some face-offs so kachuk was just helping you all across the board and brian predicted in our hot takeoff episode a couple years ago his hot take was that he thinks kachuk has a lot more goals than him he said he could potentially get up to 40 goals next year if he gets a bit more shooting luck so uh obviously finding the next brady kachuk will be very valuable to anyone in a bangers league uh, do you have someone on your radar that could be the next like bangers superstar uh, no not really
1: um kachuk is a those boys are kind of rare beasts and uh I, I think that kachuk has more brady i should say ha, has more goals in him as well and, and i don't i don't see why he wouldn't you know this is a guy who who's a pretty decent volume shooter and he's clicking you know well below 10 percent. and so for most guys when they're seeing a ton of power play time especially in the position that he often plays which is you know near that net front bumper area where it's kind of like a a post player in basketball is going to have a higher shooting percentage is because they're closer to the basket than an outside shooter and so he his his shots should probably be going in a little more frequency so if he can get up into that 10 11 12 range while maintaining you know he was on pace for 300 shots this year uh you know that's 30 goals we should be seeing out of him anyway so I, i i think he's a unique type of player uh the next kind of brady kachuk coming out of this draft i mean
0: we had a suggestion someone responded to that tweet patrick weldon suggested dylan holloway is he someone that could compare no not really
1: uh Holloway is kind of a he's a he's a quality center prospect who he's got a decent shot uh he doesn't play that that he doesn't volume shoot and he doesn't play with that kind of edge uh so no I wouldn't I wouldn't call Holloway that guy um
0: well that's okay it just goes to show how good Brady Kachuk has been that we can't even think of a peer for him and actually Brian wanted me to ask you is it still wrong that Ottawa took Kachuk over Zadina are you changing your mind on that I
1: was okay with that. I was okay with that at the time, just because of the uniqueness of his game. I thought that they were leaving some offense on the table in exchange for that, you know, basically that asshole, uh, player, that, that <laughs> tendency that you don't get out of, out of many guys that they can really fire up the other team, um, and get them off their game with just the way he plays and, and just, kind of his general outlook and attitude out there. Uh, so I was okay with that. I think that, you know, at the time they left, they left some goals. They left some points on the board by, by taking him over Quinn, Hughes over Zadina um, but they've got themselves a unique player and I think that that is valuable similar to how I talk about Quentin Byfield who you know there's a guy who could be similar to Kachuk I guess if he oh. found that that bit of nasty to his game which is I'm kind of banking on him in finding that a bit because he is so much bigger than everybody else that he should be able to manhandle him and he does but at the next level he's going to be running into guys that are also you know six foot two six foot three and 200 plus pounds and so it's going to be a little more challenging so i'm hoping he finds a little bit of a dick to his game and if that <laughs> happens then, then byfield could be that guy
0: okay yeah with more offensive upside potentially so <laughs> definitely yeah uh okay a couple more questions for you then i'll let you go uh it's uh, early morning for you is that we recorded starting at noon uh my time which means you're on the west coast there 9 a.m so i guess uh have you already had your morning coffee or were you waiting for after the podcast
1: my wife literally came in and put a cup of coffee in front of me as you were saying that.
0: Oh, what a lady, hey? Especially after you injured her. That's so nice that she, she I know. Went to go. Yeah, I got lucky. She's a keeper. Okay, uh, here's a question. Is this guy a keeper? Clayton Keller, someone who you've been into for so long. I think one of our first ever talks with you on Keeping Carlson was you pumping up Clayton Keller. Uh, Nick DeStef asks, is there still plenty of hope for him? This year, kind of disappointing. 44 points in 70 games. That's a 52-point pace. This followed up a 47-point season. That was also disappointing. So now it's been two years since that amazing 65-point breakout in 2017-18, which you totally called. You said Keller was going to be great, and he was. Where are you currently standing on Keller? Is it just a situation thing that it's hard to get a lot of points in Arizona? Or are you starting to get worried that maybe he doesn't have that 70, 80 plus upside anymore? No, I keep, I, I think he
1: has it. It's, I hate Arizona. I hate them. Um, <laughs> they can't, they just, another team that just can't get out of their own way is that, you know, they, they have, uh, you know, Hall and Keller and Kessel and Schmaltz and OEL and they should be playing more of a running gun style, but then they surround them with uh, not so great assets around it. So Vinny Hinnestroza and Lawson Kraus and, and Carl Soderberg playing in your top six and, you know, no disrespect to Christian Javorak, but he's not a top line center. Um, so, I still think that there is time. This is a kid who's 21 years old um, and he has 250 plus NHL games under his belt. Like you said, he already has a 65 uh, point season. He saw his minutes get chopped by, you know, over almost two minutes between 2018, 19 and this past season. Um, a big chunk of that was almost a minute of that was on the power play uh, so that's not going to help you out and then the shot volume is kind of maintained he's basically a two two and a half shots a game type of guy and and so that's going to be difficult for him to push into the 25 30 goal range um, unless he's hitting above 10 percent, which I think he's totally capable of but it's it's the Arizona factor and you know I can love a player and I had him I think I had him Fourth on my board back in his draft year uh, in 2016, and and he slipped to seven. And I thought it was a huge win. I really liked the direction that the Coyotes were going. They're supposed to be analytics driven, and then they've made a, a bunch of decisions that I I definitely question. And but that's not one of them. I still think that Clayton Keller should be a very very good player, capable of being that 65, 70 plus point guy. It's just you need help. You need the minutes in the right circumstances and you need surrounding talent. And, you know, I expect Taylor Hall's going to waltz and Phil Kessel's slowly become a shadow of his old self. And it's, it's not going to be easy for him to get there. So if you can find someone who wants to buy on that upside and you can kind of get yourself someone who's maybe older and in a better situation, who's going to be a higher bet to get you 60, 65 points next year, but maybe not have a chance at 70, 75, I'd probably make that deal.
0: Yeah, it's just an unfortunate situation for him. I totally agree with you. Hall's going to be gone. And I've I've lost most of my faith in Phil Kessel being like a big impact guy, especially like, you know, it's, it's one thing to say that I think Kessel can be good, but then to be good enough to help other players also be really good. I don't know if that's going to happen. So yeah, it's going to, could be rough for Clayton Keller just because of the guys he's going to have to play with for the next little while. Uh, we've got a question here from at Jeffrey P. Perry over on the Islanders. Will Noah Dobson eventually take over the New York Islanders top power play quarterback dude these and like, what do you think we can project for him? The, th- the first thing that comes to my mind is almost like, who cares? Just cause that it, it's, we've, sure. we haven't seen a top power play defenseman on the Islanders actually make an impact in so long. Like this season looks like Devin Taves had the most power play time for the team and he only had six power play points to show for it. Uh, Ryan Pulak is next. He had eight power play points, seeing 42% of the power play time. He had a nice season overall, especially in a bankers league. You got 35 points in 68 games, some hits and blocks from Pulak. Uh, Letty finally bumps. We don't have to worry about him more? noah dobson he played this season he played in 34 games had seven points but no power play time uh so what are you expecting from dobson moving forward is that his job for the taking Yep, that is his job for the
1: taking. And this past season was a was a unique one for him because he had done all he could in junior. Uh, he was a, a tremendous playing in the QMJHL. He you know looked great at the World Juniors. He played thirty plus minutes a night on a, a big playoff run for them uh, for for the Huskies in the Q in his last year. And so they're like, what are we going to do? Are we going to send him back to junior for another season to to stagnate and to kind of struggle through, or do we keep him up when he's probably not quite ready and kind of eke out minutes for him. And so that's what they did. And I respect that. So he saw whatever, 12, 13 minutes a night, uh, you know, they were, they were sheltering him a little bit. You know, he's, he didn't see too many defensive zone starts. Again, that's good. Uh, they're trying to keep it positive for him. But now he's going to be, you know, he'll be 20, turning 21 next season. He'll already have 35 games under his belt. I think that you're going to see him really take a hold of a full time spot on the team. Now, I don't know if they're going to give him that first power play next season. My guess is probably not. Um, but at some point, at some point, I think Matt Barzell is going to explode. Because whenever I watch Matt Barzell, I think, why isn't this guy getting ninety plus points? He is so, so good. And I think the the what they're waiting for is for a couple of these young guys to really develop and and surround that and and that nucleus. And Dobson's definitely going to be one of those guys. So in a couple of years, when we're looking at barzell on that top unit we're looking at dobson kind of QBing it from the back end hopefully wallstrom becomes that shooter that finisher on the wing uh that i think we're going to see everybody's point totals uh, creeping up and and for me barzell is going to be that real st- straw that stirs the drink but I, I think dobson's quite clearly their top asset on the on the blue line and all-around player six foot four on the right side he's He's very, very good. And I think that he has the type of juice if he can get in a situation where he can lock down three plus minutes a night on the power play and, you know, Barzell's clicking at a 90 point pace and they've got a couple of trigger men with him, that he could be a guy who could put up 60 points.
0: Wow. Yeah. And maybe even uh, sooner rather than later. So definitely another like under the radar guy to look at. Kind of reminds me of Adam Bokvist on Chicago. Like you got to imagine that once he gets the top power play for good, like he got bumped by Duncan Keith this year, but Bokvist did get a shot there and that's a high upside spot as well. Uh, definitely, and and Boquist is that pure offensive
1: guy too. So with Dobson, that he's going to be a minute muncher He'll probably play you know twenty three, twenty four, twenty five minutes a night for the Islanders when he's really hitting his peak. But uh, Boquist is he's he's that that water bug who's really going to be high risk high reward style hockey and you know get in while the getting's good in Chicago while they still have Kane ripping it up Uh, I'd love to see him kind of take over that first power play next season and and just let him run with it just have some fun with it in Chicago they're not looking to make the playoffs just just let's let's see if this guy's really got the goods
0: well I don't know like they came kind of close this year like they were challenging for a bit so who knows obviously they'll need some bounces and we'll see what happens in net like Robin Leonard's gone now but uh, I don't know I feel like Chicago still could be a team that surprises people things bounce right yeah i mean like
1: a battle for a wild card like they were kind of in the hunt for a wild card they weren't making the playoffs this year um but you know yeah if especially if they can get themselves like if if all of a sudden boquist is a guy who can put up 40 40 plus points 50 points next year on the back end and and you know they've got a couple of interesting young players there as well too to go you know with dak uh, to kind of mix around Kane and Taves. And had obviously had a big down season. I expect he's going to rebound. So, you know, they they definitely have some pieces still. They're not they're not the, the contenders that they were locked in for, what, a decade before course, this. But yeah. they still have some – to come out of that streak and still have players like that, Boyquist and Dak, and, and still have Kane, who's just almost an ageless wonder how he, he continues to get better, it seems like, uh, it, it's pretty special that they can still boast a decent lineup.
0: Yeah, actually, noticeably absent from this list of players, you listed uh, Dominic Kubalik had that great run as a rookie. Mm-hmm. Do you think he's someone that could continue this next year? I think Brian was saying he doesn't think it's likely that it was sustainable what he was doing.
1: Yeah, I, he, he's a guy that I definitely was under undervaluing. Um, I mean, he clicked at 20%. And and so basically no one clicks at 20% uh, unless you're Leon Dreisaitl. Uh So yeah, I, I don't think Kbulik, uh, is is going to be putting up 30 goals next season again but maybe I'm wrong maybe he maybe he gets to chew up more power play time maybe his shot generation goes way up because he's another guy who just barely put two shots on net and and you know to click at 20 percent of that rate is it's pretty unlikely especially with how much he scored at even strength too it's pretty nuts so uh yeah I definitely see that number going down next year I'm not sure I'm buying so high on a on a 24 year old rookie who who kind of was on a PDO bender
0: Yeah, that definitely makes sense. And so, Cam, I guess that's all the questions. Oh, here, actually, one more quick question from Jordan L. on Twitter. Do you have any FA college signings worth an ad as a rookie for next season, someone who wasn't drafted but just signed out of college?
1: Uh, um, Who's, like, the last one to make a big impact? uh tory krug uh they, they don't ha- they don't happen often the guys that actually make a big impact you know like we see it all the time or not even just undrafted guys but like guys that are coming out after their third or fourth year and people are really jacked up waiting for him you know ryan donato or um dylan sakura and guys like this and it's like yeah they're they're jimmy vc it's like those those guys aren't great like it's just they they look good as as fourth year college players because they're 22 23 years old and they better you know if they want to be pro players they better be torching the ncaa at that age so uh nobody really jumps out at me this season as a as a unrestricted free agent who's going to sign this this summer with a club that that'll really step in and do much
0: okay yeah that's fair yeah jimmy v c. I i remember when all that buzz was around him when he had the option of where to sign uh, i wonder how many people listening could even say what team he's on right now if anyone's curious He's on Buffalo, and he was actually playing on a line with Wayne Simmons and Curtis Lazar at the end of the season. All players that I don't know if people realize were on Buffalo at this point, so... Fun fact. Uh, Okay, so thanks, all the listeners, for your great questions. This has been a lot of fun. Of course, thank you so much, Cam, for joining us and giving us so much of your time and your expertise. I'd imagine there's so much stuff for you to promote. I want to give you the opportunity, obviously, you know, over on Elite Prospects, and then you've got Dauber Prospects, and then I know your Patreon is really great. I'm a member of your... I support your Patreon, and I'm in your Facebook group, and there's some good prospect chat there. So I'll kind of give you the floor to promote whatever you've got going, which is a lot.
1: Sure. Yeah. A little less than usual with no hockey going on. But um, yeah, like you said there, I've got over at EP Ringside, which is the the scouting um, analysis branch of Elite Prospects. Um, so I've been spending my my year kind of doing some deep dives on some of the upcoming players. Uh, so I've got a few really heavy analytical and film room style uh, pieces there and that unfortunately you do have it is a paywall sort of thing, but it's it's definitely worth it just to have the advanced stats alone on the Elite Prospects page, I think is worth the monthly fee, let alone all the scouting and analysis you get. We have a, a bunch of tremendous workers over there that were putting together our first draft guide, um, which will be be big, kinda rival the, the black book that hockeyprospect.com does. Uh, So that's going on really well. Dauber Prospects and Dauber Hockey, we just keep churning out uh, articles and and information and a ton of good quality profiles and stuff like that. So our our crews over there are doing a bunch of good work right now. uh, Myself and some of the associate editors and Peter Harling are putting together kind of a a collective consensus look at all the organization's prospects. We're going to rank them. We're going to rank the top 10 in each organization and kind of give them a grade and their upsides. Uh, Yoki Nevalainen and I are, are already deep into our fancy prospect report work, putting together 100 profiles of the draft eligible kids with comparables and upsides and all that good stuff so keep an eye out for that whenever that gets released this summer and uh yeah patreon it's uh, it's good to get a uh, little support from some of the people that help me do this because it uh, it takes a lot a of, lot of free time to to steal away from the family so it is nice to get a little little extra support there so that's uh, crazy joe devola scouting at uh, patreon
0: Okay, and I'll uh, put all the links to all of this stuff in the show notes. I'll message you offline to get all the links to make sure we've got everything. Obviously Cam knows his stuff and I definitely recommend reading everything that he does and wait five years from now when he's the only one who was right about Byfield ahead of Lafreniere. You're going to wish you got in on it right from the start. Uh, So yeah, Cam, thanks so much again for joining and I hope you have a great day and I hope that you and all the listeners are just staying safe and getting through this crazy time in the world as we're all just sitting at home like waiting for hockey, waiting for things to get back to normal and hopefully. hopefully staying sane in the process
1: that's the key staying sane yeah staying inside and staying sane keeping busy getting some exercise i as a school teacher i can't and a dad i can't help but get that in there you know keep a keep a routine put on some pants during the day you know wash your hands get out for some exercise if you can don't just eat all the all the quarantine junk food too early um i I have to remind myself that too but yeah hopefully everyone's out there staying well and, and staying happy
0: Okay, well, thanks, everyone, for listening. Thanks again, Cam. Uh, check out the show notes for all of these links, and we'll catch you all with another episode next week. We've got another exciting interview coming. Brian's got... I don't think it's locked in yet. I won't say it yet, but keep an eye on our Twitter account, at Carlson for the big name drop of a fun interview we're going to have. Not as big as Cam, of course, but, you know, we're doing our best. we got—we got a good one coming, so we're going to keep the shows going all throughout the summer. keeps us busy, and hopefully it keeps you entertained. So, thanks again. Bye, everyone.